Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So today we're talking about causality and medicine. Uh, yeah, well, I would say maybe healthcare a little bit more broadly, but yeah, hmm. this is, I feel like the 268th episode in our <laughs> infinity episode series on um, observational inference. Uh, and so, but this is particularly looking at the case of trying to understand from large healthcare data sets, what kinds of medical treatments uh, actually seem to cause better outcomes in the people who take them. Awesome. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So when we talk about inference, what is that? Like, what are we exactly talking about? Yeah, so in the context of healthcare, it's pretty straightforward. It's like you go to a doctor, they give you some kind of medicine. Does the medicine make you better for whatever it is it was prescribed for? So, um, and the idea there is that maybe you would have recovered on your own, maybe you wouldn't have. So when we're talking about causal inference, what we're trying to understand is whether the medicine actually caused you to have a better outcome than you would have had if you hadn't taken it or if you had taken some other kind of medicine instead. Right. So I guess a good example of that is, you know, you get the flu or you get a cold and you take some, you know, snake oil or something like that, and then you get better. And if you had just not taken the snake oil, you would have gotten better in the same amount of time. But it feels like there's an inference. It feels like there's a causality there. Yeah. And it's super tricky because, you know, most of us, when we think about what does causality mean in kind of a philosophical way, it's like, well, the cleanest way to think about that is actually like, imagine there were two worlds that were identical in yeah. all ways, except in one world, you took the snake oil and in one world, you didn't. Now, because there's nothing else that's different between the two of them, anything that you see afterwards that's different has to be because of the snake oil. Um, but we can't live in two parallel universes at the same time. And so that's why we have to be a little bit clever when we analyze data to try to understand if there are causal effects in there or not. Yeah, sometimes I think it would be kind of cool to be able to, I mean, use, to use a software terminology to fork the universe in two and... Uh, observe the differences. But of course, if I can split the universe in two, it means probably anyone can split the universe in two. I don't know if I want that. That's fair. So anyway, what we have instead <laughs> is usually when we're trying to do causal inference, we'll use randomized controlled trials, which in lieu of having multiple worlds that people live in, instead you say that on average, uh, the worlds look the same. So and the way that you achieve that is by randomizing who goes into the treatment arm or the control arm, who gets the snake oil, who gets the actual medication. Um, and if you've done your randomization properly and you have good experimental controls, then the average outcome that you, or the average difference in outcomes that you see between those two groups, you can say with some confidence that it was the difference in treatment that caused the difference in outcomes. So you said with some confidence. Yeah. So in the case of a really well-randomized control trial, you have some uncertainty because of just the statistical sampling error. Like sometimes if you were to flip a coin a certain number of times, a hundred times, you would expect 50 heads and 50 tails, but just statistically, sometimes you get 49.51 or 48.52. Same thing can happen with medicine. So there's a little bit of uncertainty around um, the, the average treatment effects that you measure. But uh, the bigger issue, or the one that we're going to be talking about today, is when you don't have a scenario where there is randomized controlled 
trial type conditions around the data that you collect, but rather instead, you just have a whole bunch of data that has been collected, as we say, observationally. So you haven't mm. been super careful about randomizing things. And then as we've talked about in some, some previous episodes recently, there's ways that you can uh, very, very carefully introspect the data anyway, um, to still try to find uh, things that look sort of like randomization, things like sometimes they call them natural experiments. Um, you can still try to find the causal effects uh, in those data sets. But in this case, you have to be careful about the biases that can creep into the data because, of course, it wasn't randomized who got what. And there could be what we call confounders, like things that make the people who got the medicine just systematically different from the people who didn't. And when you see differences in outcomes between those two groups, it may well be the confounders that you're observing and not anything that has to do with differences in treatment. So that's why it's hard to do causal inference on observational data. Got it. Because you didn't control uh, or you didn't collect the data. And so you are not necessarily even aware of some of the things that might be uh, confounding. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's such a valuable thing to potentially be able yeah. to do that lots of people are working with these data sets. And so um, what we want to talk about today is uh, a paper in uh, the latest episode of the, uh, the Harvard Data Science Review. Um, it's entitled, How Confident Are We? about observational findings in healthcare, a benchmark study. And this is looking at a particularly, <laughs> this is looking at a particular aspect of, of this kind of causal inference analysis of observational data. The root problem that this paper is trying to address is, like I said, there's a few, a number of different analysis strategies that you can use to analyze observational data for causal inference. There's also a ton of different pre-processing choices you can make on that data, like what is even included in your data set to begin with, like what, what data is in there, what data isn't, are you going to be imputing missing values? If so, how are you going to do it? Like, There's just a semi-infinite number of choices you can make, and, and there's, not a, there's not an infinite number, but there's like usually a pretty large number of reasonably well, theoretically well-motivated choices you can make. And uh, I think I see where we're going. Okay, yeah. Which is that you can make uh, you can make all of these different choices, and in making the choices, you're trying to, uh, I guess, maybe fill in the data, or equalize, or normalize, or or balance, or you know, whatever. Insert your verb there. But you also might be a confounder yourself. Oh, that's an interesting way of phrasing it. What do you mean? Well, I mean. By modifying the data, by pre-processing the data, you were putting something into the data. Uh, you are you are shifting it in some way, and of course, the goal would be to to I guess pre-process the data in a way that doesn't impact the outcome uh, of your of your final analysis. But you can't possibly know that you're not affecting the data set in one way or the other. Like you might be uh, leaning the data set more towards uh, showing you the solution that you want, or maybe showing you a solution that you know you don't want. And of course, as a scientist or as an uh, as someone who's analyzing data, you want to not inject any extra color into it. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, let me, I'll put it like a slightly different way, because I don't think most scientists think of themselves as changing the underlying data, really. They think of themselves as just refining the data for the question that they're trying to answer with it. But Mm -hmm. the point that you're trying to make is 100% valid, which is that there's a lot of choices that you have to make as an analyst when you're refining the data that amount to effectively, depending on how you do it, you can end, you can argue that you can end up sculpting the outcome that you want to see. And of course, as scientists, that's not something that we want to do, right? We think that there's, there's at least some notion of objective truth in the world, and we want to access it. We don't want to be creating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, this is a, a reality is that there's lots of different choices that you can make. And uh, another reality is that the different choices can give you different answers. Um, And so if you don't have a theoretical basis sometimes for saying which way is the right way to analyze your data, which is usually usually the case, you know, there's a, a number of different reasonable choices you can make. Well, then if each of those reasonable choices gives you a different answer, which one's the mm. right answer? <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is the most neutral way of massaging the data to make it um, easier to process? Exactly. And moreover, are there choices that you can make that might appear theoretically well-motivated, but in practice, for whatever reason, end up giving you answers that are biased certain ways? That's certainly something you would want to know as a scientist and could, in general, probably want to steer clear of those methods that are going to give you, I think the biggest fear is that you find something when there's nothing there to find, um, that you right. create a, a result out of nothing. That's that's kind of arguably the, the worst outcome that can, that can come of this kind of study. So all of that to say, uh, this paper is actually trying to head on face that question. So we have lots and lots of different choices that we can make about how we analyze our data, pre-processing choices, different settings within each of the analysis strategies. Like, are we going to do some kind of like um, propensity weighted thing? Are we going to do some kind of matching? Are we going to do something that amounts to like a difference in differences? These are all things, different ways that you can do observational causal inference, all of those different choices. Let's try all of them and see what are the aggregate trends that we see. And are there certain types of analysis strategies that we should just be aware could end up giving us biased answers? Okay, so how do you know? Because, I mean, like you said, we are trying to access this universal truth. We're never going to get 100% there. But there's some objective truth that we're trying to access, and, and it's hidden in the data. If we don't know what that answer is, we can't compare wherever we land to the correct answer. So like how, like what other options are there for knowing whether we're on the right track? Great question. So what they do in this paper is they have a number of uh, four different big real world healthcare data sets. So this is information about, it's all anonymized, but it's about a bunch of different patients, uh, different uh, medical or healthcare conditions that they have, different treatments that they've received, and then different outcomes that they experience. And so what they do with this data set is they derive a whole bunch of what they call uh, negative controls, I think is, is the phrase that they make. And the notion here is that there are uh, medications that you can take 
that you might take for perfectly valid medical reasons. Like maybe I take a medicine for glaucoma, which is like an eye mm-hmm. condition, right? Uh, and so I would expect to see maybe some kind of outcome potentially on my glaucoma. If there are any known side effects of this medication, then I might experience some of those side effects. So those would be outcomes that you might see. But for tons and tons of medications, there are other types of outcomes that we expect to not be influenced by that medication at all. So in the case of glaucoma, maybe it's like ingrown toenails. I know for basically various medical reasons that this, and for you know, kind of empirical reasons perhaps too, somebody studied this before, this particular glaucoma medicine does not cause ingrown toenails. I'm like pretty solidly confident of that. I can come up with a whole bunch of examples of medications that don't cause particular outcomes. And then I can go look through the data set for evidence using all these different analytical techniques, right? Um, Looking for evidence of those medications causing the outcomes that we know shouldn't be causing. And so what's interesting. Yeah. So what it looks like when it's working, if the analysis strategies are giving you what they're supposed to be, you shouldn't be measuring any the incidence of ingrown toenails being larger in the group that took the glaucoma medicine than in the group that didn't take the glaucoma medicine. But if you measure something that says that there is more ingrown toenails from the glaucoma medicine, then that's a bit of a hint that that maybe the underlying strategy that you've just used has kind of a bias towards finding an effect. And if you find that once or twice, then maybe that's just bad luck or something that that's certainly the kinds of things that happen from time to time. But if you start to measure this systematically, okay, with this particular way of analyzing the data, I'm finding lots and lots of causal effects when I'm pretty sure there are none. That gives you a much better idea of which types of analyses are are most likely to give you the quote unquote correct answer. That's really interesting. So you're basically doing, you're doing a bunch of analysis, doing, using a bunch of strategies and you're trying to figure out which strategy or which of a couple of strategies are uh, the most neutral. And so you obviously can, cannot compare to the answer you're looking for because you don't know the answer. But you can, you're saying, compare to make sure that it's not that, that your strategy that you ultimately start using is not biased towards finding causation in ways that you're pretty certain there is none. Yeah, that's right. And one thing that I'll add in this paper that uh, is interesting is you can make sure also that your analysis strategies, if there's an effect, that your analysis strategy finds the the effect correctly and um, that the, say, the 95% confidence intervals actually um, contains the real effect size 95% of the time or so. Um, so the way that they measure for for true effects is by taking these negative controls where they know that there is no impact. And then they artificially inject some uh, some causal structure basically into the data set. Like they manipulate the data set so that it looks like it would look if there were some kind of causal effect of a certain size. And then you can run those sort of synthetic positive cases. Again, run those through your analysis code and you see if the analysis code in those cases are recovering the causal effect that are the proper size. So you're like injecting a signal and then you're making sure that your measurement apparatus can like measure the signal properly. That's the exercise here. So that's kind of, so, so you basically, it seems like you've described 
you measure that there's no signal where there shouldn't be any signal, and then you measure that there is signal and it's the correct size when you add that signal yourself. Exactly. Wow, that's really yeah. neat. It's pretty cool. So the um, the paper for this will post a link on lineardigressions.com. It's got numerous authors to it, um, but again, the the title of it is "How Confident Are We About Observational Findings in Healthcare: A Benchmark Study." Um, and for those of you who are particularly interested in this, a couple things that I'll just mention. So this whole general idea of benchmarking our causal inference uh, strategies and having, say, these cases of negative controls or synthetic positive controls, um, all of the code that underlies this uh, this study is available on GitHub. So you can basically download it and use it yourself if you're working in this kind of regime. And moreover, because there's a whole bunch of different permutations and studies that this group had to do, um, it doesn't lend itself particularly well to summarizing in a bunch of figures in a paper because there's just like kind of too many variables. So instead, they made a shiny app. Um, so you can go in and you can say, hey, here's like the type of the subset of the data that I want to look at, and here's the type of analysis um, approach that I'm curious about, and here are a couple of assumptions about how you actually implemented that analysis approach, like whatever, blah, 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 and then see what were some of the overall effects. So it's kind of like each, imagine there's like a, a big data set that they've made here uh, that's the results of all these studies that they did, and that data set is powering a Shiny app, so you can see those results for yourself. This is actually super cool to me because uh, coming from the software world, most of the time you're in control of the process of randomization and you're kind of aware of a lot of these effects. You don't usually go out, or at least in, in the lines of work I've been in, I haven't really had a lot of opportunities to go out and find some data that already has been collected and then try to use it. And this has always been kind of a question for me, like, how do you how do you ensure something like randomization? And it's really neat to see the depth of thought that's gone into this problem and that there are actually some ways of using observational data in a similar way as you would use data that you go out and collect yourself. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.